Is that okay? Can you hear me? No. 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 Not on. Hello? Yes. Okay. All right. That's my introduction. <laughs> I'm really excited to be here with you today. Um, happy summer. Um, I'm going to start with a story that occurred in the summer. About six blocks from here. Hot summer night. I think it was in June, actually. Uh, I sat at the table of my girlfriend's apartment in her kitchen. She had no air conditioning. And so you could feel the heat and the humidity in the air. And if you were able to look in on that conversation, you would have felt the tension as well. We were talking about our relationship um, and where it was going. We weren't engaged. Uh, we were recently out of college. But the focus of the conversation was about where we were going to go to church, what we were going to do about church. And how should we go about figuring that out? And there was tension in that. We both came from very different backgrounds to the church. Um, and so that was informing the conversation. You could feel that difference. I could feel it. I was much more anxious than she was. Um, in fact, I would actually say, looking back, there was a lot of fear that I had as I was trying to figure out how we were going to be in a healthy relationship. We wanted to grow together. We wanted to grow as individuals. We didn't have a church. And that was very anxiety-producing for me. In fact, looking back, even though I had been in college for four years, away from my family, it was really probably the first time I was ever looking for a church. And the context is we'd come from a really healthy, vibrant church. And we had gotten connected in that nice, healthy, nurturing environment. And we'd been in a Christian college environment, also very nurturing. So nurturing that you kind of didn't think about it. You actually got to kind of choose the Christians you wanted to be with. Do I want to be with the ministry Christians? Do I want to be with the granola Christians? Do I want to be, uh, you know, a sports Christian? You know, there was all sorts of varieties. But now suddenly we were in the city alone. And that is actually the unspoken fear that was in that room. We felt alone disconnected from the body. It was geographically driven. We did not know where she was. She had not come with us. We both felt led to go to the city. We weren't sent out by the church. We didn't have a sense that there was a body praying for us or covering us in prayer, as people will describe. We didn't know what to do. We didn't even know how to go about figuring this out. And my sense is that this disconnection that we had, you've probably experienced at some point, being disconnected from the church, being disconnected perhaps from the Lord. Um, that season, it was driven by the fact that we were kind of geographically distant. But there's been other times when we've been at church, we've been in church, and we felt just like we didn't fit in, that we didn't belong. We attended a church together in the city after we got married, and we, we, we gave it a go. We joined a small group, and, and we really were there faithfully every Sunday, but we felt disconnected the whole time. We didn't, felt, we didn't feel like we belonged. I think that's common. You may be feeling that right now. Other times you're disconnected from the church because maybe she hurt you. More and more I encounter individuals that say they've been hurt by the church. I'm no longer surprised by it. I should have never been surprised by it. The church is made up of sinful people. 
but she is an entity. And she's there for you to connect with. And it's very possible to be hurt by the church. And so sometimes our disconnection is not our own choosing. But if you're disconnected from the church, I would bet that you're disconnected from Christ to some degree. Chances are, if you're feeling disconnected from the church, you may feel like your spiritual life, your spiritual growth is stalling out. And I don't think anyone in this room wants that. If you're here, there's probably some connection you've had with Christ, and you want more of it. And that's what he, he promised you. John 10, 10. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. What a great word. No one uses the word abundantly. It's such a rich word. There have been so many seasons in my life where I've not felt the abundant life of the Lord. Is that what you want, the abundant life? Have you met those Christians that are abounding in life? That's another word for abundant, abounding. Does it just feel like vitality, life? You've met those Christians, haven't you? You interact with them and you come away from interacting with them and you're like, I'm inspired, I'm energized, I'm, I, I'm committed, I want more. I'm going to invite you to go deeper today. I want you to come into the church in a more profound way to get some of this abundance. For that promise in Scripture that you might have life and have it abundantly. We're going to look at the foundation of the church to do this, okay? So Acts 2, 42 through 47, six verses, very short. But it's the foundation in the sense that it's the fountainhead, right? Like the Mississippi springs up in, like I think, Lake Itasca in Minnesota and becomes this gigantic, powerful coursing river with a delta at the, at the Gulf of Mexico that's super huge wide. But it starts at the fountainhead, and that's what we're looking at today. It's the fountainhead of the church in Acts 2. It's like reading about our great-great-great-great-grandparents and how they met and what happened when they met. It's a great story. And it's the foundation, and it's been poured by the Holy Spirit. And there are certain things that were laid down that the church was built on. The house of God was being built on this foundation. Um, And it's given life and health to the church ever since. And it will give you life and health as well as a member of the church. In four to five weeks, Lindsay and I are expecting the arrival of our baby boy. We're very excited. She's probably a little bit more eager than I am. Um, another sweltering hot summer night. Um, when a child is born, we do, we do something as healthcare providers, whether it's a doctor, a nurse, or a, a midwife. Baby comes out, and we capture what's called an APGAR score. It's an acronym. But basically, we look at that baby, and we look at its pulse, we look at its breath, its, re- its respiration, its breathing, we look at its ability to grunt, we look at its muscle tone, and then we also look at the, the color of its skin. We do that at minute one and at minute five, and then we never do it again. Minute one, it tells us how the baby handled the birth canal, the act of being born. Minute five, it tells us how they're doing with life outside the womb. And based on the APGAR score, based on what we're looking at, it will determine whether we take that baby to a higher level of care or whether we think they're good to go. I would like to say to you there's four vital signs here in the foundation of the church that predict the health and vitality of the church and that you should be using as a set of vital signs for yourself as you are part of the church. Now, vital signs are very helpful for us as physicians. 
In fact, tomorrow I start on service in the hospital, which is when there's a team of us, me, residents, interns, and med students. We all walk around in a hospital, and we talk about this patient because we're in charge of this patient, and then we decide what to do, and we go to the next one. And I'm tasked with the job of listening. And a med student or an intern, and in some cases the resident, will present a case to me, this patient. And the first thing that they are going to say to me are the vital signs. Because I can't get a picture of the health of the patient, how sick they are or how well they are, without knowing the vital signs. They're absolutely necessary. That's why they're called vital. They're absolutely necessary. They're, they're um, essential. But vital also means full of energy, lively. The infant church, as described here in the end of Acts 2, shows us what the vital signs are. And we should be looking for them in your church and in our own lives. Read me to you real quickly at the beginning. And they devoted themselves, so as a group, to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So there they are. Those are the four vital signs of the infant church. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So we're going to talk about each one. I just want to pause real quickly. The infant church here is showing us about these vital signs. I'm not trying to hold them up. as like this is how we should model ourselves after. Okay? This was an infant church, not fully developed, not fully formed. She has no concept of mission. She has no, she's, they're just trying to figure it out. And the Holy Spirit is there nurturing them. Um, there's so much to learn here. But this is the, the beginnings of the Jerusalem church. Um, and so let's, let's take from them how this can inform our church. Much has been said about the New Testament churches. We're going to be an Acts 2 church, a New Testament church. Um, I'm not trying to give you that lens, that framework. Okay? Um, this was an imperfect church, but she was pursuing the right things. She was devoted to the right things. And so I want us to take those devotions, those four devotions, um, as things to be looked at. And we're going to look at them, what they looked like then and then now. So the teaching. Let's start there. In order of appearance, of course. So the apostles' teaching actually commences the church, right? If you go back to read all of Acts 2, it's Peter. He stands up and he preaches. For the first time, the gospel is preached after the resurrected Christ has ascended. And he says it right there. Repent and be baptized and receive forgiveness for your sins. And the church, which was 11 disciples, plus Matthias, Judas's replacement, plus Mary, plus Jesus' brothers, were all in one room. So the church of Christ was all in one room. And it went from that many people to 3,000. And so this description here at the end of the first chapter, we have the teaching, the apostles' teaching, launching it. And it was the utmost of importance from day one. The Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh, as, Paul, as Peter preached. And it's through the word of God that this has begun to happen. And 3,000 people who had never met Jesus, okay? These are people that do not know him, are suddenly believing in him, and want to pursue him as their God. And this is what we have access to today even. Because the apostles teaching become the holy scriptures. Almost all of the New Testament is written by an apostle. Not all of it. Paul being also an apostle who met the resurrected Christ. And that's what we mean by the apostles teaching. Was that these were people that not only had met Jesus and lived with him. 
but they had seen and touched him, Paul being the exclusion there, but had met the resurrected Christ and were anointed. And anointing is right there in the next verse through the wonders and signs that the apostles were doing. So they carried the authority of Christ through their teaching and the wonders and signs. And we still today receive that benefit. That is what the scriptures are. An extension of that. And truly, every theological derivation of the scriptures is also that blessing, that apostles' teaching. Um, And this is the first manifestation of the body of Christ. And this revelation that had come through Christ reinterpreted the Old Testament scriptures, right? Gave them a lens. And from the very first preaching of the gospel, the Old Testament is affirmed and blessed. And so we have access to the Old Testament where Christ is fulfilling that. Um, Just as in his life, as he walked on this earth, he also would constantly tell us how to understand the Old Testament Jewish scriptures. Um, And the word of God is alive. Two weeks ago when Father Stephen was here, we read the passage about hearts of stone that were turned to hearts of flesh. When Peter preached, anointed by the Holy Spirit, the word of God, the scriptures, it says this, and their hearts were pierced or cut. What a picture of a heart of flesh. People that did not know Jesus suddenly now are encountering him through the teaching of the apostles. It is so important that the church be gathered together teaching. Now you might say to me, okay, that's great. Um, I can read my Bible. I can actually listen to sermons online at home. What does this have to do about being together? Well, it is through the discussion and the dialogue and the discourse of being together that we understand these teachings. Why do you think the church was together 100% of the time in that description? They had no idea who Jesus was. And they didn't have access to the New Testament like we do. They didn't have access to C.S. Lewis. They didn't have access to all these writings. The only way to know who Jesus was was to be with the guy that knew Jesus so well, John. Let's hang out with John, who Jesus loved. And that is why they were together. The teachings were brought to life as they spent time together. We must be together to receive the apostles' teachings. Church will teach you how to live like Jesus. Yes, read your Bible. Yes, we have access like we've never had access before. The Holy Spirit's poured out on all flesh, each individual. Amen. But when we come together, it's when we receive the apostles' teaching. When we dialogue together. And this is the prayer of the apostles. In Peter's second letter, listen to what he says. But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's a constant. You must continue to seek out who Jesus is through the teaching of the church. Or Paul in Colossians. I want you to be bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And how do we do this? Well, we've touched on many of them already. We read scripture. First and foremost, there's, those are the apostles' teaching. We read the church fathers. We read the Reformation. We read devotionals. C.S. Lewis for every day of the week. Whatever it is. But we also listen. We come to the church to hear the sermon. We join a small group because it is there that we dialogue and discourse and talk about what it means for this and that to play out in our life. It's not a monologue. 
I can't tell you how many times I think I have something understood and then I talk to someone like a Joel Radicke or I talk to my wife and I'm like, wow, I really missed out on a lot of that. I hadn't thought of that. This must happen together. Mentors. It's another way to get the apostles' teaching. Someone who's walked with the Lord longer than you, man, there's a benefit from just hanging out with that person. I remember, I remember my godfather, uh, Charlie Porter, um, big, hulking of a guy. Um, just, I was always so amazed at how big he was. He had a grade school education, went into the Navy uh, before high school. I think he learned how to read afterwards. Not a well-educated man. And I was having a hard time with my parents in junior high. Parents had made a decision that impacted me, and I was upset about it. I was hurt. Okay. And I remember sitting in the basement of my godfather's house, and he came lumbering down the stairs, and he sat down next to me on the floor. He's like, you know, you're dishonoring your parents. Well, I mean, I knew the Ten Commandments. I, I was aware of that important thing. I was... That wasn't something everyone, anyone had ever accused me of before. But he was showing me the scriptures played out in my life because he'd been there. Because he'd walked with Jesus longer. So we receive the apostles' teaching most poignantly in the body of Christ. We learn together. Sure, there's homework. You've got to go home and do your homework. Um, but we do it together. And that segues in nicely to the second vital sign, the second devotion, and that's the fellowship. They were devoted to the fellowship. All who believed had all things in common, selling their possessions and their belongings. Why? To distribute them to meet needs. Okay? I am convinced the point of all of this was not because it was to get rid of things that they owned. It was to meet needs. And that's the concept of fellowship I want to share with you. And this is the concept of fellowship that I think is, in fact, the accurate one. From its earliest moments, the church has been meeting needs. And they were doing it together as a team. I love teams. I like team sports. Maybe it's because I've never been like the standout athlete, and so I want to hide on a team, and maybe I'll do better that way. Um, but fellowship here is connotating partnership. It's not just connectedness, okay? It's, it's connotating a joint participation, activeness. Shared purpose. In Acts 4, verse 32, they had one heart and soul. And fellowship is a bit of a tired word. We toss it around a lot. and um, It's important. But let's just look at teams real quickly. Because there's a lot of different expressions of fellowship. And I want you to take away um, a, an active, participatory, shared idea of fellowship. I ran cross country in high school. Guess what? It's a team sport. No one ever says, hey, we ran cross-country in high school. No, I say, I ran cross-country. I was not good at cross-country, okay? I, know, I never felt like I was on a team. <laughs> when you're out there running, you feel very alone. <laughs> and usually by the time I finished, everyone was gone. So maybe that's why I didn't feel like a team. You get a score as a team. I think you earn points. Someone wins the cross-country meet. There's always a runner that wins. That's always I knew about. Jason on our team was really good. <laughs> So our coach always talked to him before the race. I'm over there being like, <laughs> it never felt like a team. We were a team. We all wore the same uniform. We looked like a team. You knew who you were running with, although they still beat me. Um, 
It's a team sport. The most profound team I've ever been on was a rowing team. In a boat, it's not a very wide boat, okay? Right around here. And every movement you make as an individual affects everyone else in the boat. And everyone has their own oar, everyone's pulling on their own oar, but you're doing it together. In fact, you, you, you spend as much time focusing on strength and building strong arms and forearms and endurance as you do on coordination. It's immensely important. I've never felt as dependent on a team member as when I'm rowing a boat. By the way, no one gets to the finish line without the other guy. Everyone that's in the boat has a purpose. You don't get to ride if you don't have a purpose. If you're in the boat, you're helping us get to the end. And I have never felt so compelled to ignore physical pain as when I'm rowing the boat because I knew the guy in front of me was pulling hard and I better not be the guy. I won't be the weakest link. I probably was. I was very little. Um, but the point is, this is a picture of... Have you ever seen Olympic rowing? I mean, it's mesmerizing. They're like, all going together. It is so in sync. That's the fellowship that's being described here. They were all in sync. They're all together. They're pulling from the very beginning for a purpose. They're not, they're not running this individually. They're looking to meet needs together. And they couldn't do it on their own, by the way. Remember in the Old Testament, in Judges, where they had this phrase, everyone was doing as he saw fit? No longer. Now we're doing it together. And by the way, when we fellowship together, we're actually fellowshipping with God. Listen to what John says, the one who Jesus loved, in his first letter, verse 3, chapter 1. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So when you come in to share in this fellowship, when you come in to participate in the ministry, you get to do that with God in a way that you don't have access by yourself. Yes, the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh. Christ lives within us. That final barrier that Father Stephen illustrated where before he went, to, went away, and before the Helper came, this was as close as we could get. But now Christ lives within us, so he's always with you. And you can always commune and fellowship with the Holy Spirit in prayer and in Scripture. But there is a fellowship with God the Father and with the Son that you share in when you fellowship with the body. It connects us with God. Throughout Scripture, what is God trying to do? We have a holy God trying to have intimacy with a bunch of unfaithful, unruly, sinful people. And there's all these barriers in the way, but he wants it. And now it can be had. And for the first time, the barrier between man and woman, man and man, brother and sister, brother and brother, that barrier is removed as well. So we can have intimacy with each other, connection to the collective, and with Christ. It's accessible now. The connection, that fellowship with God comes through the church. For after all, she is the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. You get access to this right away. For in one spirit, 
we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink the one spirit. The one spirit is a reference to John 6 when Jesus scandalizes the Jewish listeners that you must eat my body and drink my blood. We were all baptized. So as soon as you're baptized, you gain entrance and membership into the body of Christ. But you've got to fulfill that in the body of Christ. Romans 12.5, apparently we're hearing about this soon. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. The apostles do not make much of a distinction between your connection with Christ and your connection with the body. That is not our cultural framework. We're individuals. We're Western evangelical Protestant individuals. This is why, in a few minutes, when we gather here around the table, Father Aaron will say to you, if you've been baptized and are following Jesus, you're welcome here. You've been, you've been brought into the body of Christ, the universal church. Fellowship looks like shared ministry. It should feel like that. It's so much more than friendship. Yes, you get friendship. Hooray. It's more than a hug at the peace. It's more than recreating together. Embrace those things. Receive them. Those are the gifts of being in the body. But please seek to meet each other's needs. That's what the church has been doing since day one. Seek to meet other needs. Seek to meet needs with people in the church. It's more than connectedness. It's a partnership in Christ. Get in the boat. Pick up your oar. All right. The third devotion. The breaking of bread. Verse 2, 46. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Dot, dot, dot. Praising God. So, at this time, the breaking of bread... You'll, you, if you go to dig into this phrase, people are like, oh, was that Eucharist? Was that communion? Or was this them eating together? Yes. In fact, we know from other areas in the New Testament that those two things were together initially. And for health and appropriateness, eventually those were separated out. Um, so it's not, a, it's not a helpful question to worry about that right now. But what I think this is, is this is the forerunner. This is the vital sign of worship in sacrament. We worship here today in Emmanuel as part of the diocese, Mid Upper Midwest Anglican Diocese, whose mission is a revival of worship in, in uh, word and sacrament infused by the power of the Holy Spirit. This, I think, is the forerunner. I'm going to make that suggestion to you of worshiping in sacrament. How do we understand the breaking of bread? Luke, at the end of Luke, we have this story of two guys walking to Emmaus, the road to Emmaus. Here's what Luke says in verse 35. And he was known to them. They're walking, they're walking with the risen Lord. They don't know this. They don't, they don't recognize it. He's veiled. This is a repeated pattern of the resurrected Lord. It's not 100% clear. They hang out with him. They're talking. Their hearts are burdened. It's a wonderful story. He was known to them in the breaking of the bread. There is something profoundly mysterious here. I'm sorry I won't be able to clear it up for you today. There's something profoundly mysterious in the breaking of bread where the presence of Christ is revealed and made known to you. This does not happen on your own. This is what happens when we are gathered together in the name of Jesus. 
It's not that one Christian plus one Christian equals two Christians. It's one plus one equals universal church in the presence of God and the breaking of bread comes near. First Corinthians eleven twenty six, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is part of our worship. It is part of what is an important vital sign of the church. And you need it too. This is not one that you can go do at home. This is when you gather together. It is the centerpiece of our worship. Christ's presence. Don't stay away from the table. Don't not come for Eucharist. There is deep, deep mystery here. But it's the presence of Christ. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well? They're having this conversation, this very piercing conversation. And she's talking about what well, we worship on the mountain. And, and he says, woman, there is coming a time when it won't be about the mountain, it won't be about the temple. It'll be about worshiping in spirit and truth. The spirit of Christ, the presence of Christ coming to us. Here in the foundations of the church, the infant church is memorializing, is, is remembering, repopulating that Last Supper of the body and blood of Christ. The fourth devotion, the prayers. There's an article in front of the prayers. It's the, and it really is the. There's something formal here. It's not just they were devoted to praying. It's not just they were prayerful people. There is something here that is specific and you get a little bit of clue here. Um, they were continually in the temple blessing and praising. Um, if you look through Acts and some of the other areas in the New Testament, the apostles go to the temple for multiple reasons. Uh, in 521, they go there to teach. Um, they go there to worship. Luke 24 even talks about that, where they're continually blessing the Lord in the temple. But here in Acts 3.1, just right after this passage, we're looking at Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer... The ninth hour. This is probably, very likely, um, a reference to the stipulated Jewish prayers at the time, where you would go to the temple at the ninth hour. 3 p.m. would be what that, that correlates to. These are habits that they had before they knew Christ, and after Christ comes in, these habits become life-giving. They become important. Um, for all Christians, prayer is private, and personal, but it is vital that each believer is praying with the body, praying publicly, sharing in prayer. It's the book of common prayer. These are prayers that have been prayed before you and prayers that, have been pray that will be prayed after you. The prayers of the people, we stand up together and we pray. Pause for one second and see if you don't get goosebumps. We're going to stand and pray prayers that Literally, hundreds, thousands of congregations are praying around the world right now today that have been prayed through time and space by faithful men and women, and you are sharing it. It's like a smoke tendril that's just been rising up and still going. There's something important about participating in those prayers, about receiving the mind of Christ. When Acts says that they were of one heart and one soul, they were praying together. Their hearts were united in prayer. 
Have you ever thought about the Lord's Prayer? It's on page 16. There is not, there is not the pronoun I. It's our Father. Give us, forgive us, our debt, we and our... There is no I. There's a collective prayer. We pray together. You should do that here. Whether it's the prayers of the people, praying with a prayer minister, praying in a small group, learn how to pray with each other. Now these devotions are an integrated whole, okay? It's helpful to talk about each, each of the four by themselves, but they, they overlap tremendously, which is great. That's what vital signs do. They give us a picture, a sense of the, the health and well-being altogether. One vital sign is not helpful to me. Tomorrow, when these rookie interns, by the way, never go to the hospital in July, the new doctors are starting. <laughs> Tomorrow, some new intern is going to be anxious, and he's going to think I'm going to be mean to him, um, and he's probably, or she is probably going to forget a vital sign. And I will make them give me that vital sign, because I need all of them to get the clear picture. So you might have seasons where you're, you're more connected to a church and might have seasons where you're more disconnected. But all four are important and not one of them is to be left behind. The sense of connectedness, the sense of shared mission. If you feel outside or if you feel different, disconnected from that, if you're far away from the ministry and the mission... Let me just say a few words here. It may be geography, like it was for me, but Christ is the vine, we are the branches, and you cannot survive disconnected from the vine. And we've already talked about how the body of Christ, the church, is probably that vine for you now. If you're geographically far from a church, solve that problem. That one's harder to do logistically sometimes for people. Um, the Lord will preserve you through it. He did, Lindsay and I. She was my girlfriend at the time. She's the only girlfriend I've ever had. Um, but are you alone here? Are you feeling disconnected here? you feel like you don't fit in? I don't know much about Anglicanism. I don't talk the way there. I've been there. I've been critical Sometimes I've kept them at, at bay because I don't know I wanted to be like them. You're going to be missing out on the abundant life. If you've been hurt by the church, or if someone in your family has been hurt by the church, or if you know someone who's been hurt by the church, know that you will never heal from that without the church. If she's hurt you, she has to help heal you. Many people make the tragic mistake of being hurt by some aspect of the church and then they step away because it hurts. You have to press in. And it's hard, right? She can't walk up to you and apologize. Yeah, she's an entity, but she can't walk up and say, hey, I'm sorry I hurt you. But her members can. So pray with them. Break bread with them. Worship with them. Hear the teaching of the scriptures with them. And she'll heal you. And then she'll grow you. 
She'll bless you, and you'll find out that you're really becoming you. In Hebrews, consider how to stir up one another to love and good work, not neglecting to meet together. Do not despair if you feel disconnected. Measure your vital signs. Are they in place? And devote yourself to the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. We may the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's now, as the church, confess our faith together uh, using the words of the Nicene Creed. I invite you to stand and join with me page 12. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Now let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. I invite you to kneel or sit and confess.